1: welcome to south coast tonight i'm marcus farrow and joining me here is chris mccarthy good evening marcus the P- packed house in here tonight so uh also uh, co-moderating the debate tonight is jack Spillane. hey jack hey guys so um we are here for the ward three city council uh debates this is the last debate slash forum of the election season uh the debate is i mean the uh the election is tuesday uh February 28th, um, and then they will have a new Ward 3 City Council to replace the recently resigned Hugh Dunn. We're joined by Carmen Amaral. Hey, Carmen.
2: Hey, Marcus. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, sh- and and Sean Oliver. Hi, Sean. Hey, Marcus. How are you? So the rules are as follows. Uh, each candidate gets a two-minute uh, opening and closing statement. That's been decided. The order's been decided by CoinFlip. Uh, we will then be moving on to questions. Um, each candidate will have two minutes to answer a question. If a candidate is addressed and another candidate's answer, then that candidate will get a one-minute rebuttal. We are going commercial-free until eight o'clock, and we are going to start with um, we're going to start with opening statements. Carmen, uh, you've you've got the floor.
2: Thanks. So, um, thanks again for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, and i'm excited to be doing this i'm excited to be running for war three city Councilor. i've been in the city since immigrating when i was really young came over from saint michael when i was four and uh that immigrant upbringing really taught me a lot i was the default liaison between my family and a new country uh my brother and i we had to help because we were in school we knew english i ha- Learned systems from a really young age, where to go for help, how to pay bills, how to navigate public assistance, uh, fuel assistance. I'm fortunate that I had the support of the community in schools and the Immigrants Assistance Center um, to help navigate some of those things as well. My mother got sick when I was really young, so we also coordinated uh, medical care. So really, it was navigating bureaucracies is something I've done for a really, really long time. And advocacy started from a young age. I ended up with a career in education, which is also advocacy. Uh, So I have an understanding of the city, being from here, having that experience, a deep understanding. And I also am committed to my community. I do work with the Women's Fund South Coast. I'm actually the uh, board president. So between my professional experience as academic coordinator at Old Colony and a classroom teacher for 18 years and my community work, uh, I've developed the skills that I'm ready to give back to the community. Things like budget management, working with diverse community stakeholders, navigating bureaucracies, advocating on behalf of others. That's public service. That's an understanding of the community. And those are the skills that you need in a city councilor.
1: Sean?
3: Well, again, thank you for this opportunity, guys. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Sean Oliver. I'm 39 years old, and I love long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but, but seriously, I'm um, a long-term resident of, uh, of New Bedford. I was born and raised here. Uh, I'm employed as a correction officer with the Massachusetts Department of Corrections, as most of you have, have known. But I'm also a constable here, um, as well as serving our community. Um, I, you hear it often, but I, I really do love this city. You know, and as a Ward Three counselor, uh, for years I felt the same frustration that many of you have had for for uh, quite some time. Uh, I've gone unanswered, and I've gone gone unheard. Uh, we need someone who's going to roll up their sleeves and do what they say and, and mean what they do. And I feel that's exactly who I am. That's 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 who I've been uh, in anything that I approach. Um, you know, I. I put five thousand of my own dollars into this campaign. My my not my own dollars. My family's hard-earned dollars. You know, really committing um, to you know representing the city um, in in the in the best light that we can. Um, the as I personally go door to door, you know, I I this is something that I've heard back. The people that are expressing these these same sentiments. So I um, just want. Us now, we have an opportunity to really set the stage in Ward Three for a new City Council, where our voices can actually be heard uh, going forward. And I think that I'm I'm the best um, candidate to do that. I'm a pretty pretty relatable guy. I don't, uh, I uh, and hope to to transition that into our city government.
1: Okay, uh, we're going to start questions. I'm going to ask a question. Chris will ask a question, then Jack will ask a question. My first question is, uh, you both run strong campaigns. You both have a unique set of qualifications. But if your opponent wins the election, what is your biggest concern? And will you be able to work with your opponent as a liaison for your neighborhood? We'll start with Sean.
3: Well, I mean, we, we are we're all doing this because we want better for the city, right? So regardless of the outcome... Um, that would be something that I would still strive to do. Um, you know, maybe uh, there'll be different approaches, um, but it would still be something that um, I would continue to, to look forward to do. And hopefully, I think, like you said, we've run two uh, pretty good campaigns to, uh, to, to get us to where we are. And I, I hope that uh, if uh, we aren't successful, that the other campaign would be willing to to have that assistance. Carmen?
2: So uh, collaboration is key, right, for success, and I think that's something any city councilor—that's uh, part of the job. So, of course, if I were not the next Ward Three city councilor, I would be a voice for my neighbors, for my community, and communicating with my city councilor. That's—that's what you have to do. At the end of the day, we're all here to work together to move the city forward for a common goal, which is to improve things across the city.
1: Okay.
0: So, the love session is over. uh, It's my time. They they didn't take the bait. They didn't take the bait, Marcus, and I thought you would, but you didn't. All right. So, one of you is going to be elected um, to the betterment of the city. When you get to the city council, I'm not going to say you have to affiliate, but you do have to make alliances. Would you put yourself in the Morad camp or the John Mitchell camp? And I know they're not perfect, but which side do you feel you'd be more inclined to join in the legislative
1: battles? Start with Carmen.
2: So when you go into the role, like I think of it like education, you walk into a room, you have people with very differing opinions. The first thing you have to do is listening sessions. I want to know why those two sides haven't been able to come together. Uh, how, how much, what exactly is happening that on the outside we don't know about. So it starts with listening. And from there you make affiliations based on what's best for the city. It can't be personal. It has to be business. What's better for the constituents? What's better for the people of Ward 3? What's better for the people of New Bedford? I need to know more specifics about both of their individual ideas and policies. And is it a John Mitchell and Linda Morad or is it certain groups of people or does the rest of the council function relatively well and it's just two people that aren't getting along
3: sean well that's that's uh why we have the uh the council that we have right we have uh, 11 uh members of the body and we have the the uh administration um as for some checks and balances uh but again c- coming in new to this um you know i know Um, The counselors and I've met uh, the mayor a few times, but I don't know them know them, you know So at first you you absolutely have to approach it just like you would any um, First impression or you know making friends into a new environment Um, So first and foremost is establishing those relationships between the different faces and 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 opinions within those chambers Um, So that is going to be key first and foremost um and again um really getting to the meat and potatoes as to why we can all speculate you know we all have our is it because of this reason or is it because of that reason but really um dig deep and see um the different viewpoints and 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 make make your best decision from there because we we really want what's best for the city and for and for war three
4: so all right jack all right so um You guys are both political newcomers and uh, nobody in the city really knew anything about either one of you um in terms of public life before you started and i think i spent as much time as anybody probably with you guys and i can honestly say up until last week i still didn't feel like i knew exactly what your political philosophies were uh progressive moderate uh conservative um in the last week with these endorsements, I'm, I think I'm beginning to get a picture of, of, of who you are. I think the endorsements have been important. So I'll ask you both. Um, uh, Carmen, would, would you describe your opponent as more conservative than yourself? And uh, Sean, would you describe your opponent as more progressive than yourself? I, w- I, want, I don't want to say I don't know. I, w- I want to know, and I want to know what the differences are.
1: All right. Uh, Carmen and then um, Sean. So Carmen.
2: Sure. Uh, well, Jack, I know that you think that Sean is more conservative than I am, and I am more progressive. Um, but, I,
4: but I'm on, asking what you think.
2: Well, on the issues, every single conversation that we've had, there are things that we absolutely agree on. Um, I think that in terms of addressing root causes of crime, some folks would call that a progressive issue. I think it's what everybody wants. Um, rather than labeling it progressive or not. Um, Supporting public servants, that's something that is absolutely critical. Um, And making sure that the working class is represented and that we have uh, wages that support people. We have a community that's welcome for everybody. Maybe that's labeled as progressive, but I, I think most people would agree that we want a community that way.
1: Sean?
3: Well, to, to answer your question, I guess I would uh, classify myself as more conservative. Um, and I would uh, say uh, that uh, my opponent would be a little bit more progressive in some issues. But we have been able to come together on some issues um, that we kind of have the same stance on. And um, I think that's kind of uh, great in a way where we're... You know, nobody's leaning really hard onto one side or the other. We're able to see the, the facts that are in front of us on these particular issues and, and kind of make the best choice um, f- with what is presented in front of us. Now, um, things like uh, establishing the, the root cause or getting down to the root cause of, of crime or things like that is uh, is all great, you know. And I think that we all want that in the long run. Uh, but you know, we, what do we do in the meantime, you know, so we definitely need to stand behind our uh, members of law enforcement um, in order to do that while still working on um, what the root cause of these issues are, um, but because uh, if we don't do that, it's, it's kind of like uh, taking the engine out of an airplane to lighten the load, you know.
1: So, uh, Sean, Good analogy. Sean, so, uh, Sean, um, Sean, uh, Carmen, Sean said that you're, um, you're, uh, you're more progressive than he is, uh, Jack, that was, I'm going to take that as, uh, addressing you in his, his statement. You got one minute to uh, address that if you'd like.
2: Uh, well, like I said, labeling somebody as progressive or, or these other things that we call them, i I advocate for change when it's necessary. I want the right things to happen. Um, transparency, uh, accountability, that, that's my stance. That's what I've been talking about since, since uh, deciding to run.
1: Okay. Um, So, Jack touched on endorsements. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in my question. Sean, you've been endorsed, uh, to my knowledge, by uh, AFSME, the New Bedford Police Union. Um, I know uh, one of your... uh, opponents Kathy Daner endorsed you uh, recently. Um, Carmen, you've been endorsed by the the the, um, the labor council, Shane Burgo, uh, Paul Haro, uh the new Bristol County Sheriff, um, State Rep. Chris Hendricks was was knocking doors for you. Um, so the question is, what do your endorsements say about your candidacy? And we'll start with Sean.
3: Um, I I think that i'm perhaps maybe a little bit more of a blue collar kind of guy you know the the uh uh, somebody for the people you know the 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 real backbone of of the of the unsung heroes if you will of of the city you know that uh, they plug away each and every day um much like uh some the residents in ward three you know it's very diverse um group of folks a lot of them hard working low wage jobs um just trying to make a go of it you know and i think that um, some of the folks that have come out in support of our candidacy um, are, are that too. They're they're, they're struggling and, and working and plugging away just like each and every one of us. So, Carmen.
2: Uh, so I'm you know I'm I'm so grateful for the support that I've received from people. The uh, New Bedford support specialist units I've got. Teachers who support me and their ideals align with mine, Uh, painters and other tradespeople, the working class folks, the labor council who represents over 40 uh, trades folks in the area, and certainly our uh, elected officials who understand the job and know the skills necessary to do it, and supporting me means quite a bit. Um, You know, they believe in me because I understand the issues, I've proven my commitment, and uh, I have the skill set. Necessary for the job.
0: Um, we should have served them drinks, Marcus, before <laughs> before this. But anyway, to get them going. But anyway, they're both nice people. Um, my my question is that you folks have been following the issues. Obviously, there's been a lot of journalism done on retention of police, retention of other city employees, pay raises, things of that, pay adjustments. Um, But the the retaining of police is really important, um, not only because of the loss of experience to surrounding communities. Um, Both of you come from um, organized labor backgrounds. Both of you understand the importance of being in your job for a while, um, that you just can't land there as you're going to find out one of you in a couple of months right or a month or so once you've gotten there it's, there's nothing like experience mm-hmm. so we're losing police i think that that's a trend that's going to go to firefighters actually next um we have a lot of great firefighters in this department so anyway what are you going to try to do as one city councilor to try to retain the quality employees that we have for the city of new bedford start with carmen
2: so uh you know that that's a trend that we're seeing across public service, right? We're talking about police. We're talking about fire. We're talking about teachers. These people that are the foundation for a society, right? You need police officers. You need firefighters. You need educators. And they're not respected. I say, you know, that a budget is a moral document. So we have to make sure that that supports uh, these people that are incredibly important to a community. Uh, We need to build a pipeline and we need to show respect, Uh, I've been saying this in education forever. You have to respect the profession to make people want to go into it. Um, That absolutely, when it's words matter, the way you talk about uh, fire, police, teachers, all these folks, we need we need to make sure that they are revered as the heroes that they in fact are because a society would crumble if our schools weren't working if we didn't have law enforcement if we didn't have fire uh language the way we support people is is a big one and make sure that we stand behind the uh the benefits for these these people we, we need to continue to do that
1: i like budget is a moral document that's like pretty that good yeah i like that so you're <laughs> i'm gonna use that sean <laughs>
3: <laughs> well uh, we started this conversation about, uh, mainly about the police and it's going to um, you know, transition into fire. And I personally know uh, a few uh, officers that are actively looking to go elsewhere. You know, so the numbers are going are, are to dwindle. And really, where it really starts is really rebuilding the community in which that they uh, serve. Why do they want to serve? Now, long gone are the days that kids are growing up dreaming of becoming a police officer. Okay, but that's not something that's going to get fixed overnight. But it does start with your community making the place that these people work a better place that they want to work in. Also, when we are asking these men and women to basically put their lives on the line every day around every corner, you know, they need to be treated fairly. They need to be compensated fairly and they need to know that their elected officials have their back when it comes down to it
4: um so uh wait did we ask paul
1: yeah it's jack all right so jack
4: okay so i'm going to come at this same question from the other side of the equation and that is the property taxpayers i think there are three property taxpayers at this table in new bedford myself and both of you guys. Um, No offense, I think you guys are property taxpayers in other communities. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Um, So it's no secret that property (laughs) tax... It's It's no secret that property taxes, the rate, uh, are higher in New Bedford than the suburbs, whether it's uh, Dartmouth, Fairhaven, or Cushnet. Um, And yet there are... uh, is our big employee pool in New Bedford Uh, both of you have uh, endorsements from unions that represent city workers common with teachers Sean you with police and AfSme. uh Certainly, we all want them to be paid fairly, but we also want the taxpayers to be treated fairly, and they don't have an organization or a union to speak for them. Given that you have these endorsements from the unions, both of you, what will you do to say to the property taxpayers that you will control costs and 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 just not give everything that you might want to give to the, the, the um, unions? Start with Carmen.
2: So, money is finite, right? The, the money that we have in the pool is finite, Jack. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think... We've talked about this before. It's going to be critical to find ways to get businesses into the city. Uh, we know that the uh, AMC no bids. Why? What's up with that RFP? What made it unattractive? We need to ask those questions to make those corrections. We can't make we can't just make assumptions. Bringing businesses in, bringing industry, and supporting small business. There are there's brilliance in New Bedford. Right? We can get entrepreneurs who are excited and want to start up a business. How do we support them? Because all of that increases, helps the tax base, and I will be less shocked when I open that envelope <laughs> quarterly.
3: <laughs> Sean? Well, the uh, we can't give away the house. You're absolutely right. You can't just give everything that um, uh, folks are asking for because if, then where's the ceiling, you know? But... Um, I do also have a strong belief that when things work and work correctly, people don't normally have an issue paying. Now, I'm not saying that you know th- where we're standing right now is a, a great platform. We ask too much from our residents in New Bedford. I believe that most of – I think the taxpayer is on the hook for about 75 um, percent of the bill. Through taxes, you know, we do have to increase our commercial tax base. We have to streamline the way that we um, have businesses go through the different channels to establish a business. It's very difficult um, to really um, navigate um, some of the uh, things necessary to get a business going, um, without having any type of background to do so, um, getting small business is great, but we ask a lot from them too. So we have to we have to draw in some of the big business, but why? That's mainly another reflection upon community. We have to make it inviting for these places to come to New Bedford. They want to benefit from the from our from our residents. They absolutely do. That's why you see. Walmart in Fairhaven, and Walmart in Dartmouth. But who shops there? The people of New Bedford shop at both of those locations. Wouldn't it be simpler if there was a nice big one in the middle of New Bedford that would accommodate everyone and our residents would come in? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not an advocate for Walmart. I'm just using them as a direct representation of a big business. But as far as big retail, we have Ocean State Job Lot. Why do people not want to do business in New Bedford? It's very difficult to do
1: it. and That's why. That's why they don't. They'd rather not. Okay. So next question. Um, we were talking a little bit about public safety, uh, talking about expenses to the taxpayers, but there's uh, an issue with public safety that um, I think really needs to be brought, brought back to the forefront. And it was your would uh, you know one of your one of your prede- will be predecessors, Hugh Dunn, had worked uh, on a. Home rule petition to get uh, benefits for Sergeant Mike Cassidy, who had died of COVID-19, presumed to have died on the job. Uh, And that home rule petition, to my knowledge, uh, did not go uh, anywhere. But but let's say let's just say that it did. If this happens, if it didn't, will you support um, bringing back that home rule petition to get Sergeant Mike Cassidy his benefits and uh, will you support? Um, uh, will you support uh, home rule petitions or legislation uh, on, on the city level to give line of duty death benefits to people who die on the job, presumably of COVID? And we'll start with Carmen.
2: Uh, yeah, Marcus, I think we actually talked Marcus, about that, this.
3: That was, uh, I think she's had three in a row, but that's okay. We'll, we'll let her have this one. Okay. Okay, we'll we'll do that. Okay.
2: Yeah. So uh, you and I talked about this um, the first time that I was on air with you, and uh, my answer hasn't changed. Uh, yes, of course I support that. Uh, I support providing benefits for people, again, back to the moral document, who put service above self. This happened in the line of duty protecting people? Yes.
1: Okay, Sean.
3: Well, no no one saw this coming, right? And uh, But it is something that we have to live with now. So it is a risk every day for anyone. So it's no different. We ask our men and women to sign up to protect our city, protect our residents, protect our property. But who's protecting them? When they're gone, who's protecting their families? So that's absolutely something that I would stand for um, because if something were to happen to me on the job, the, the peace of mind of knowing that my family is taken care of is all I really need.
1: Sean will be going first on this next question. Oh well, thank you.
0: So um, I
3: don't know if I'm going to want it now.
1: No, no, no. So the
0: um, but I'm, look, I've been I've been lulled into a nice mood too, like the rest of you. So um, keeping in mind with the nice mood, the last person to be elected successfully and then re-elected was Hugh Dunn. Marcus just brought up one of his accomplishments. Allow me to bring up another one. He pointed out successfully that the city of New Bedford was selling people's tax foreclosure liens to a company that was then for lack of a better word stealing the equity out of the house okay it is it is both a national and a state level problem unfortunately it is something that's happened in new bedford hugh dunn is gone will you pick up the mantle where he was and watch out for the homeowners for situations like this look people have to pay the taxes but what happened here was egregious your answers sean please
3: well, that would be absolutely something that I would um, really dig down into. As we go on door to door, we're knocking on a lot of elderly folks' doors. Um, and I've had conversations with folks that they're on, they are on fixed income. They've, they've long been retired. Their income is, to the penny, accounted for. And when they open up that tax bill and it continues to increase and increase and increase, um, they don't know how they're going to do it. And they, they stay as long as they can. You know, I have one lady comes to mind, a lady named Carol. She pays about $10,000 in, in property tax. She has a decent, decent amount of property. Um, but she's only staying there because she doesn't know where else to go. Where can she go for, to live at that cost? But she knows that she was going to the house that she worked for her whole life. She's in jeopardy of losing, you know. And so that's I, I think we need to work with the city as far as Uh, maybe, um, getting a little bit of some tax breaks from for the elderly as far as helping them navigate through some assistance, um, where they can get an abatement as far as, you know, have their real, their income really, um, analyzed. And, uh, I don't think a lot of people even know that that is a, a program that exists. So it's bringing awareness to that. Uh, but absolutely being an advocate for them um, as far as uh, we, we're asking too much of, of our uh, of our elderly to, to, to pick up that bill. Carmen?
2: We don't want to push people out of their homes. That is absolutely the last thing you want. I read that piece that was recently in the light about stealing the tax equity. And when people owe back taxes, they need to be informed. They absolutely, you got to pay your bills, right? You absolutely have to pay your bills. You have to be held accountable. But educating people around programs available, uh, payment plans, uh, clarity around next steps. And it, I think with the line, one of the lines in the article was something like, um, just because it's the most efficient solution doesn't mean it's the best solution. We have to work harder. We have to come together and make sure that we are back to the taxes, that the property taxes aren't sky high like they have been. We have to find a way to mitigate that. And allow people to stay in their homes. We already have a housing crisis in New Bedford. Uh, what's happening is a widow, uh, a woman becomes a widow. She loses uh, her husband's income, his Social Security. Now she can't afford that tax bill. That, that's inhumane to put these people out on the street. So how, as a community, do we come together as a city council? What kind of programs and help can we provide for these folks?
1: Jack,
4: your question. Uh, I, I want to ask a question about how much developable property there really is to grow revenue in the city of New Bedford. But I, I wonder if first I can just piggyback onto to Marcus's last question and get a yes or no answer from both of you. On the, um, the bill for uh, uh, city employees um, presumed to have gotten COVID, you know, um, uh, during the pandemic. Would, would you support that even for employees who refused to, be, uh, to get the vaccination and where there was no proof that they contracted it um, in the line of duty? Let's start with Sean. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I disagree with both of you. But go ahead, uh, Jack. Okay. So my question is: um, the Advanced Manufacturing Center. The projection for how much revenue you would get from that is about a million dollars a year. Uh, even if even if they did get uh, uh, proposals, uh, two million on the outside. The city of New Bedford's annual budget is approaching a half a billion. So there really is not a whole lot of of. of revenue, of of land in the city. I mean, there's a few shopping centers where you could maybe put a Walmart in one of them, but there's not a whole lot, you know, there's a waterfront, which they're working on, but there's not a whole lot of land to be developed in the city. Is it really realistic to say that we can grow our way out of the the, the tax problems by developing, um, you know, an advanced manufacturing center or another business in the business park, Hicks, Logan? start with Sean again.
3: Well, I think we we absolutely have to do it. We I I think that uh we 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 do have to build a commercial base. So New Bedford's not getting any, any bigger. So you're you're right. The 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 amount of land that we have uh but we have to work with uh different uh, work with zoning to see if we can change some things um and and really add to the places that these things can go. We just did it with the nobody nobody was thinking about using the the land at the golf course or anything like that a few years back. So the, uh, that type of out of the box thinking, um, working with, uh, different, um, uh, groups and, and, uh, coalitions to try to work that, um, and, and, and really find the little niches that we still have in a developed city like New Bedford.
1: Go ahead, Carmen.
2: You can't throw your hands up in the air and say, no, we can't pursue bringing business into the city. We have to keep, we have to keep trying, uh, Advanced manufacturing is one. Hicks Logan, can we redevelop there? Is it possible that that can be used for industrial or mixed retail? Uh, There was the gentleman who felt very strongly about the airport. Uh, (laughs) I know that there is... Uh, currently some discussion around making improvements to the airport will that improve our tax base can that be coupled with the revitalization that's supposed to be happening downtown improving our transportation uh bringing more folks into the community it could be um but we absolutely have to continue to try to make this an attractive place for businesses to come
1: okay so uh, my next question i'm going to change the subject a little bit uh, of course there's been an ongoing feud with the the mayor and the city council regarding the nomination of carol pimentel to the voc school board you've both told me you've both told jack that you support carol pimentel's nomination and if you have an opportunity to vote for her you will vote for her to be on the voc school board the question is about admissions do you support uh, because Car- carol P- pimentel's Uh, Rejection is largely due to her position on admissions. There is a federal lawsuit being filed uh, that's been filed against DESE, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, because of the admission standards uh, of uh, Massachusetts Vogue Schools, New Bedford, being identified as one of the biggest offenders. So um, do you support Mayor Mitchell's position that there needs to be a blind lottery system in Vogue Tech admissions? Uh, Carmen, we'll start with you.
2: So I know we talked about this last time uh... first i want to say that every single student who wants to pursue a vocational education should have the chance and no matter what right now you're going to end up with kids on the outside looking in and this isn't a quick fix it's like jack pointed out ten years down the line but we need more vocational schools we need more chapter seventy four accredited programs we know that right now the return on investment on that traditional trajectory of go to high school go to a get your bachelor's degree it isn't the same and Trades, they need a pipeline of workers. So we need more seats in vocational schools. We also need to address the equity issue. If in the interim, a lottery system is what will fix the problem, and data points to that, I want to say it's Acid Valley, but I don't want to say the the wrong school. Might not be Acid, recently moved. I'd have to look at their data. Is it working? Uh, At Southeastern, the the vocational school I worked at previously, uh, it wasn't a lottery system. There were actually more uh, boys than girls that applied to the school and they ran some simulations to see what a lottery would look like. And there would actually be way more boys admitted and it was about 50-50 the way they had done the admission. So you have to do it right. And there, there are more assets to that, You facets to that. You have to make sure that every kid has the opportunity to sit there and learn about vocational schools because that's not necessarily the case. They have to want to go to a school to be the school to be entered into the lottery. So if that's in the interim, if that's what's going to make it more equitable, then that's what we need to do. But we need more seats.
3: Sean, well, our uh, the, we need more seats is 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 great, um, but the school's not getting any bigger. Um, so again, um, I don't think um, that we can we can do that right now. The biggest thing is what we have at hand, which is getting um, the admissions um, changed, where we're being more or less told to do this um i've talked to a few folks they want to see how it plays out before we before they do it but um i think that uh carol is she has the know-how she has uh, a, a a great track record a great resume um so i would i would still uh, support carol um in that carol pimentel's nomination but what it really is is and I've said this before, some people are doers and some people are learners. A lot of kids are coming up in families, hardworking families, especially in Ward 3, in the lower Ward 3, where there's a lot of people that do work with their hands, vocational workers. Um, they grew up seeing their father or mother swing a hammer or, 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 or fix something, and they want to do that also. But their grades just aren't there. Um, doesn't mean that they can't do the, the that that task, that job though that, that um so but it does give them a little bit of a disenchantment that they're not they're unable to do it. I think everybody is kind of just one thing away from really turning the corner as far as what is gonna make them um you know, what is, what are they going to be in life? What happens is a lot of these kids get tossed back into the public school system because they don't have the grades good enough and they still don't have anything to really cling on to. You know, what we really need to do is bring vocational programs back into the public school system and get kids really engaged in that because I know myself. I had a. I struggled in my junior year of high school, and the one thing that kept me going was my architectural drafting class that I absolutely loved.
1: That was the one thing some days that really just got me to go to school. So, Sean, I just want to just do you support the blind lottery admission system? So, on the blind just lottery, because yep. on the time. on
3: the blind lottery, um, that's something that I think we I, I would support. It's something that'll change. Um, but has to be monitored um, as soon as we get some hard data on it to see if it's working. Okay. So, oh, Chris, it's your
1: turn.
0: So keeping on that same um, theme of, of vocational school, because I think it's so important. Um, I grew up, I come from a family of educators and in New Bedford. And um, I built schools when I was a selectman in Freetown. It's a very difficult thing to do. One of the things you're going to have to do to build a new vocational school, which I'm not saying it's not necessary, is get a tax override, and that's about 20 years on the ballot, okay? I did it. It's very hard to pass a tax override of any form, let alone telling people it's going to raise their taxes for the next 20 years. Over and above whatever, you're going to raise them anyway. Um, Do you think you could do it? Would you marshal your resources as a city councilor to pass a tax override to build additional vocational school? We'll start with Sean. Well,
3: I I I guess that would be I'd I'd say to answer your question would be um, not at the moment. I think that we still have a lot of opportunity to work within the confines that we have. Um, Let's see how this lottery system plays out. Can we get vocational schools, vocational programs, back into our public school um, before we have to go that route? We're still very far away from that. Um, Voc has expanded. I don't know. I. I don't think that they can get any bigger into the, the lot size that they have. Um, but um, I, I think that we have to explore other avenues before we even really start to to discuss possibly developing an, an additional vocational school. Thank you. Carmen.
2: Well, we have to talk about other ways to fund this as well. Uh, right now, the Senate document and House documents that have um, are being presented, talk about earmarking ARPA money. And you know, you have to go through the whole feasibility study with MSBA, and the community has to agree. We're doing that right now at Old Colony. Um, First, you have to, are you even a candidate for a feasibility study? You have to start there. And my superintendent has been great at finding, coming up with ways to, to fund this with minimizing the burden on the community. So this is something we need. And if we need it, we need to use that ARPA money, federal money, state money that's available to do that, and come up with ways so that we are not burdening the taxpayers because right now we we absolutely can't endure that
4: Jack. So I wonder if you can switch gears a little bit to um, the issue of uh, fishing versus wind turbines. Mm. Uh, There's been a lot of tension between the fishing industry and the wind turbine industry. Uh, The mayor is moving in the direction of increasing wind turbines. The FOSS terminal is going to be devoted to that. The south terminal already is devoted to that part of the, the the new state pier uh, on the other hand former mayor lang a uh, respectable guy says that it just won't work that the, the he, he says the numbers won't work he's concerned about the hurricane barrier and, and he's, he's concerned about the fishing industry the biggest industry in new bedford being disadvantaged by the location of some of these turbines what's your position on the the wind turbines versus the fishing industry can they coexist together start with sean
3: uh, well, I don't know if you know this, Jack, but uh, we're we're a fishing port. You know that's, <laughs> that, I th- that's. I think I, think that, I know that. <laughs> that's who we are. You know that's been our lifeblood for 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 quite some time. So when these um, other other streams of uh, revenue or um, different um, things come into the city, it um, we can't forget where we came from. You know we have to support our fishermen, but we we really have to see. You know, are these affected is it is it really affecting our fishing? Because I don't think we, we can we can one is going to even if one cancels out the other, what did, what did we really do? You know, we just hurt a lot of hard working men and women that work right here in the city every day in a port that brings a ton of money into to, to, to New Bedford. Where these wind turbines, yes, beneficial, but once they're up, they don't employ too many, as many people as our fishing industry does. So can they coexist? I believe so. Um, but we really have to monitor it, but I would be monitoring it, obviously, in the favor of, of fishing, who we are. We are a fishing port, and that's, that's who we have to really um, come, stand behind. Carmen? Uh,
2: so I think that they have to work together. Uh, we are a fishing port, uh, a very active fishing port, but climate change is real. So we have to move towards green technology. And one of the things that's happening as a result of climate change is ocean acidification. So if you can't mitigate greenhouse gases, you're not going to have fish to fish for. I think that wind, the folks in wind and the fishing industry they they can learn from the fishing industry they have to come together and and work in a mutually beneficial way right these people the fishermen the folks out in the ports they have a deep understanding of this this ocean this water and wind is new to us but it's not a new technology um i i think they can be absolutely mutually beneficial
1: okay so um The next question, uh, the next question is, um, you know, we talked a little bit about endorsements and and political philosophies. But I wonder um, uh, what public figure what politician or public figure in local or state politics do you think do you think you're most trying to emulate? And we'll start with Sean. In
3: local politics,
1: local or state?
3: Well, well, uh, well, this is local, so we'll say local. Um, you know, uh, I've had it, over the, the course of a living in the city um, and uh, this campaign, I've had an opportunity to meet and speak, talk, whether it be via phone, text, even, you know, face to face. But uh, somebody who's really entrenched himself in the, the community as of late, and you guys know Ian Abreu, you know, guy is there. Uh, basically, kind of running a very similar camp ran a very similar campaign when he ran the first time boots on the ground about the people for the people because without the people there's no need for us anyways so he he has excellent constituent services you see it all the time especially on Facebook if you guys ever hop on there anything that goes on in the city people are talk to Ian talk to Ian call Ian reach out to Ian so right now that is somebody in the city council that is a huge asset, somebody that I would like to emulate as far as the constituent services. He does a great job of constituent services, and uh, and, and that's – I would hope that the people can see that that's what they're going to get if they vote for me on February 28th. Carmen. Uh,
2: so I got to pick more than one. Um
3: he said, "Just one."
2: No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, you know, I I have to say that uh, uh, Ian, of course, is synonymous with constituent services, uh, and Shane Burgo. I know he's a freshman um, city councilor, but he does incredible work. He's always the voice for the people. He's really deeply entrenched in the community with his church, the Cape Verdean community. He's a voice for them, and I'm a voice for the people. I I, I see a parallel there, absolutely. And um, Rep. Cabral and Rep. Hendricks. Uh, Rep. Cabral, since a young age, he's been the voice for the immigrant community, and I see that in myself. And Rep. Hendricks has done great work in Ward 3, uh, especially in those— he's out in those multifamily neighborhoods all the time. They, he understands that they are important. No one group of the city is more important than the other. And I find myself aligning very much with those things.
1: Great. Um, Chris.
0: So one of the big um, issues that, that is in the cities, again, it's nationwide. It's, it's, it's city. It's in every city. It is housing. One of the Things coming up, it'll be coming into legislation filtered down to you guys at the local level, is a rent control or rent stabilization. Briefly, what is your opinion? And again, we haven't seen details, but your opinion overall on rent control or rent stabilization? Let's start with Carmen. Uh,
2: so I don't think that rent control would, would happen. That's a scary term, uh, but I've heard a lot about rent stabilization being floated around. Uh, that, that's twofold. People can't be driven out of of their homes because of crazy market, uh, crazy increases in rent. So, so how do we make sure we keep people in their homes? Uh, and you don't want to punish people who own multifamily homes and want to make a profit, that's, that's important too. You don't want to hinder that. So I think you bring different stakeholders in the community together to have conversations. You bring landlords in, you listen to the people who are like, Hey, I can't afford to pay my rent this month. I'm on a fixed income. How are we going to make this work? I also think it's critical that we have local ethical builders rather than these folks coming in from the outside, buying up property, and then evicting people who've been there a long time because they can rent these properties out for way above market value. There's something said for keeping folks in the community working with the revitalization, buying up these properties, and being the local landlords, not the absentee landlords.
3: Sean? Well, uh, a story that's... uh personal to me, is my uh, my grandparents. Uh, they migrated here as well, like many people in the city. It's kind of the this, this story of New Bedford. We're a city of immigrants. you know. So um, they rented the same apartment for about 50-plus years. Um, the landlord passed away, and the house was sold. And somebody comes in, purchases the home, and the little bit of rent that they've been paying over the years is now quadrupled you know um where do they go what do they do you know these folks my my grandmother she cleaned houses pretty much her whole life didn't really squirrel anything away my grandfather worked for Chamberlain for quite some time then worked for Titleist and then he did a lot with the uh, you know uh, base state drywall working with his hands stuff like that so again they didn't really squirrel anything away so what do they do you know i don't think rent control is really going to be a thing that is is going to be able to be done um But there has to be something done where we can't just have these properties. Just it's it's unfeasible, you know. There's not enough um, work in the city to accommodate the money that we that some of these landlords are asking. I've looked at some properties that I was interested in buying, and before I was technically the first one that was supposed to look at it, and there was already five offers from people sight unseen from Boston. So you know they're they're looking to New Bedford to make a, a buck. And we do need to control that with some sort of rent stabilization. But rent control um I think is um is gonna be really tough to 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 to, to get past.
1: All right. Um I'm actually Jack, I'm sorry, I'm actually gonna move on to closing statements because we got like you know, I want to make sure we oh, get both statements. Right. I, mean, I know what I want like to make about constituent service. I, oh, I made so it before. S- so. I am so sorry. <laughs> s- <yeah. Well>, Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack will stick around. yeah. So we'll, you'll have plenty of time to, to talk. But uh, two-minute opening, closing statements. Again, the coin flip decided uh, the order. Carmen Amaral, your two-minute closing statement.
2: Sure. So I know that my lived experience as an immigrant, um, along with my education and leadership, make me the candidate who can help constituents and the city move forward. My whole life's been advocacy. My whole life has been listening and making decisions to make systems better. That's what I do. That's what I'll continue to do for the city. I'm I'm not afraid of hard work. I'm no stranger to hard work. My parents were factory workers. I worked in restaurant jobs until I was in my thirties. I started when I was fourteen. That's a long time. I've met a lot of people. I God bless every single server. Out there, um, and I'm going to continue to work hard for the people of the ward. They deserve somebody with skills and qualifications to advocate for them and to make sure every voice is heard and be their representative on the council. And I look forward to representing them, and I hope that I have everyone's vote on February 28th.
1: Okay, Sean.
3: Well, not everybody's vote. I need some. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, thank you, WBSM, obviously, for doing this. You guys have really, and Jack, you guys have really done a great job can, uh, covering this award uh, ward race. Uh, but so, so thank you, and I thank you for the opportunity for tonight. But, um, you know, when I started this campaign, um, nobody had to plant the bug uh, in me to motivate me to run. No large political forces handpicked me to be some type of, You know, moldable candidate or anything like that. I ran to solve problems. I ran to improve lives um, of of others. Um, If mine gets improved in the process, as far as a better city, then great. But um, that's really been my driving force. Um, They say that the makeup of a city council should be reflected upon the the people that they serve, and and I find that to be true. I'm a hardworking man who grinds every day for a better life for my family. Um I don't have a laundry list of degrees to rattle off to you but what I do have is a strong work ethic uh, compassion and understanding for my fellow citizen um an overwhelming pride for the place that I've always called home uh, I believe we need more of that today in today's political landscape um I believe that I'm a direct reflection of many of the people that are in ward 3 um we've we've settled for far too long for half-hearted efforts and uh, absentee counselors, um, and in the past, we've just kind of stood by and watched some maybe um, use it as a political stepping stone or just a, a tick in the in the resume. Well, we deserve better than that. Uh, we deserve a committed counselor who's not just looking to add to that list our higher aspirations. I believe throughout this campaign I've shown that commitment both physically and financially. Um, I've personally gone to most of these doors um i've listened to the concerns i've had a few opportunities to even um remedy some of the issues um uh, that constituents have have had um and uh what three i hope that you see the real me there's no stage right. photos or gotta, anything like that. I gotta that. cut you off there. Sorry, okay. man. Yeah, went over time,
1: that was two minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It goes by. Uh, it goes know. by fast. That yeah. Time so good. Uh, yeah. I want to thank I want to thank um, Carmen and Sean for coming in. Uh, congrats on running great campaigns so far. There's definitely been, I, like I said to you guys, I think uh, privately, your endorsements I think show the the strength of your candidacies because a lot of these heavy hitters don't need to jump into the into these races, but they decided it was really important. So we appreciate the work you doing stepping up to serve your communities and we appreciate you uh, coming here uh, for South Coast tonight, and um, that's pretty much it for the next hour. Jack, you're you're sticking around for mm-hmm. for eight uh, eight to nine to post game where we're going to uh, talk smack about both Carmen and Sean after they leave Who the studio. <laughs> <laughs> after Come they leave on. the studio, it's a dirty job, but somebody's to do. It. Yeah, it's it <laughs> what do <are> we do? <laughs> it's a dirty job, but it's a fun job. And uh, no, I'm I appreciate you guys coming in. We're uh, that's it. We're signing off for the eight o'clock hour. And again, uh, best of luck to you guys. That is. Is Tuesday, February twenty eighth, New Bedford Ward three City Council special election. You have a great pick with these uh, with, with these two candidates. So get out there and vote.